This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. We hear plenty about cover crops these days, but could you use them in conjunction with a cow-calf or stalker cattle operation? Christopher Hudson is taking advantage of the opportunities he sees with cover crops, both for his farm fields and his grazing ground. Plus, we take a look ahead to selecting seed for the 2023 season. It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by Pivot Bio. As we look ahead to next season, one of the biggest concerns, of course, are rising input prices and nitrogen is at the top of the list. Even with those higher prices, we still need nitrogen, and in today's world, I'm looking for ways to increase bushels while still using more sustainable farming methods. That's led me to Pivot BioProven 40, which can produce up to the equivalent of 40 pounds of synthetic nitrogen. Our field demonstrations show an opportunity for a better ROI and a reduction of synthetic nitrogen. Turn to a better nitrogen with Pivot Bio. I hope you'll learn more. Just go to pivotbio.com. Christopher Hudson farms near Bowling Green, Missouri. He has row crops and a cow-calf operation and runs a small retail ag business, Hudson Ag Services. Perhaps you're like me and hear plenty about cover crops. Maybe you've even used them in your operation. But Chris has been integrating their use into his cattle program for several years, finding many benefits for both cattle and the next year's crop. Here's our conversation. Chris, just talk about the year that you've had so far. You've had, like a lot of people, a, a variety of weather, but uh, you got hot and then you got some wet later on. What all happened? Yeah, so it's been a challenging year. Uh, locally, it's been extremely spotty from April on. Um, I spent a large majority of my spring bouncing around week to week, um, different locales and zip codes, uh, extreme rain events this spring, um, and then also some dry pockets this spring. Uh, there was a lot of late crops planted, June corn, um, et cetera, but then there was also some early crops, so lots of variability. This summer, of course, brought the same thing, some dry pockets, uh, some extreme drought in places, and then also there's some crops around that look really good, but very, very um, spotty. We'll talk more about crops in a moment, but let's go to the livestock side because you've got cows. Just talk about the pasture situation, hay situation, because some people may have been in a deficit and shipping some hay other places others still need it so what's what's been the case for you yeah so we've been pretty challenged as far as a grazing pasture environment here this year uh, i know on my own farm we've been feeding some hay through july uh, we kind of caught a rain event the end of july that gave us a little uh, break and had the fescue come back a little bit uh, but we're encountering some dry again so we're going to grazing some summer annuals currently um, I would say our first cutting hay in May and June in this area uh, was 60 to 70 percent of normal. Uh, a lot of guys are pretty concerned with hay going uh, into the summer and planted a lot of double crop sedan grass and things like that to try to make up for that hay deficit. Um, I think for the most part our area is going to be okay on hay, but we won't have a ton to export to send other places. 
So how does that affect you going into the winter then? Will it change how you're going to stock the number of cows or what you're looking about for winter and spring then? Yeah, a lot of guys here have cut back on some cow herds. Uh, Also been hearing a lot about in this area uh, some trouble with uh, breed breed back on our spring calving cows, Um, some preg checks that aren't going as well as they should have just because of the heat in June. Um, So lots of guys are culling pretty hard. Um, and then also, uh, they're doing, there's a lot of fall cover crops going on extremely early, uh, airily, um, with cereal rye and radishes and turnips, guys trying to capitalize on some fall pasture and ext- or limit the days they need to feed hay. So talk about those cover crops. Are, are these people that had been using them before or not? And then are they using the cover crops in a different way because of the conditions around here? Yeah. So about half of my retail ag business is selling cover crop seed. And, uh, I would say, my normal customers are flying on as many acres as, as they always do, and there's a lot of people that have not in the past that are uh, just looking for a feed source. Um, lots of guys also, in addition to maybe flying on radishes and cereal rye or throwing some oats or something like that with maybe a little more fall growth uh, to try to capitalize on some fall growth for cows. Um, it's it's going to be a huge year for cover crops, I think, for us. Well, those that are doing that, then, they're going to turn those in on the cover crops, and they've got those fields so they can turn them in and so many fences have been jerked out over the years they can they what are they doing to make that work yeah so there's a lot of guys that are in in Meyer at least uh playing with hot wire a lot and uh you can drive up and down the countryside and we joked uh last spring even more guys are starting it's starting to look like uh can't western Kansas with a hot wire strung around a a bunch of corn stalks um and, and it's becoming more prevalent in our area and strip grazing um, it's it's definitely taken off, and this year is going to push it even harder. Do you think that that's just something that's going to be temporary because of weather conditions, or are people seeing benefits of the cover crops and the grazing, and you think it's going to become more permanent? Yeah, obviously there's the, the benefits that the cover crop gurus and everybody preaches about grazing and what it does for organic matter and everything else. But I think the biggest thing forcing our hand here in this area is we are 60 miles from St. Louis. Uh, land prices are extravagant. Um, you're looking at seven, $8,000 an acre just for pasture ground, not even row crop ground, just because of our pressure uh, from urban sprawl. So anything guys can do to keep the cow herd, um, but to run it on limited acres, they're trying it. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons our area is kind of progressive on that front. So this summer, things got so dry, you were feeding hay early, is that right? Yeah, we started somewhere July 15th to July 20th. Um, our pastures kind of broken to two locales. We've got some pasture at home, and then we've got some pasture 20 miles south of us. 20 miles south of us, we're catching rain. So I've got oodles and gobs of grass there. Um, at home, we were feeding hay early, uh, very early. Um, last time we fed hay that, that hard for that long is 2012. So you're putting some cover crops on your crop ground then to help supplement what you have for feed but you had been doing that prior to this year already correct yeah we've always done that um on on limited air i love red clover in the wheat if we can do it just it's it's a cheap easy thing to do that doesn't take any time in the summer um we frost seed it in february and you, you forget about it this year we got more aggressive in some of our acres that we weren't intending on grazing that we're either going to go to double crop beans or whatever we switched to a cover crop mix a pretty heavy forage mix um we've been strip grazing that uh, it was planted oh, August 1st, right in there, and we started strip grazing it last week. 
some people are going to say, well, that's great if you're set up for it. So what do you do as far as fences and water sources and being able to handle all that then? Yeah, we're fence is not a good thing in our area. Uh, we've got quite a bit of rented ground too, and there is no fences. Um, so, you know, our cows are pretty broke to hot wire. Um, I am not a strip grazing guru by any means, and I hate doing it because I, I don't have the time, but it works. Um, and if I could resort more time to that it would be excellent but as far as facilities yeah it's just we've got perimeter fences on everything woven wire and barbed wire and we're just uh, essentially trying to break it up to where the cows aren't are getting more good more days out of the same amount of acres by instead of turning them in 40 acres we're turning them in maybe four or five and moving hot wire i call it strip grazing it's not but moving hot wire once a week what benefit do you think you have from the cows as far as manure fertility that way for after you graze them it's huge um and i'll go back two years so i had a entry in the soybean growers contest and uh, i had a 40 that we grazed half and did not graze the other half one spring it was cereal rye and, and some other uh, kind of a diverse mix mostly cereal rye and the 40 where we ran cows over made seven bushel more than the four or the excuse me the half of the 40 we ran cows over made seven bushel more than the south half we didn't i don't know why um there's something to though cows and biology and and speeding up that carbon process and and turning that plant into manure that's utilized very quickly by a plant it works you don't feel like that you tear up the fields in an, enough with those cattle, or do you have to do anything special to get things ready to plant the next season? So I'm pretty conscientious when we're doing that. Uh, we try to no-till everything, um, but I'm pretty particular. So cows, a lot of times through January and February, I'm turning them out if there's frost and then pulling them back in on what we call our sacrifice pastures um, if, it, if, if the ground's not froze. Um, and then through April and May, I'm turning out on days that the, basically they're not sinking in. If I think the cows are going to make a mess out there, they're back in on sacrifice pressures and we're unrolling hay. Um, but any nice days where I don't think they're going to make a mess, they're out on corn stalks or grazing cover crops. And then do you have to supplement much with other feed during the winter then? Yeah, I still feed some hay, but I can tell you right now that those days that they're out picking on cover crops or whatever, it's significantly less. Instead of feeding a group of 50 cows, maybe two bales of hay or whatever, we may go to a bale or a bale and a half. Uh, we try to unroll most our hay so we can kind of vary what we're feeding on what they're cleaning up. And they clean up a lot less uh, if they're out picking on corn stalks or on cover crops. Just talk about the cover crops for a moment because you are a dealer. Any things that you would give as, as tips to folks, and I know that's a broad subject, but so many have heard about it, some have experimented, some have it's gone well, some not so well. You've been around it for a while. What experiences do you have that you'd share? You know, utilizing cover crops in a row crop scenario, it's not perfect. Um, there's challenges. And, and the biggest thing I stress to all my customers and anybody I talk to, you're going to fail once. Don't let that failure keep you from doing it in the future because the benefits outweigh any failures you're going to have. You just have to be able to move on past that. Um, and, and so that's what I preach to guys a lot. Um, you know, keep your head up. Keep trying it. You, you'll find a way that works with your farming system because what works for me may not work for you. That may not work for the next guy. It's got to fit your operation. It sounds like, though, this use of cover crops with livestock is a unique way that folks here have found. I'm wondering if, based on your experience, you would say, hey, 
you should think about this no matter where you live because if you have livestock, it's worked well for us. Yeah, and I guess that's we started using cover crops in about 2010, 2009 on my family's farm. Um, and since then, we've had our share of failures, but we utilize them pretty hard with livestock. And I've got a lot of customers spread across uh, north central and central Missouri um, that maybe don't necessarily buy all their seed from me, but are always calling for advice. And, and that's, I guess, to answer your question, we've got to somehow figure out how to utilize that in a, a positive way. And, and those guys with livestock are sure on the cutting edge because they can squeak some profit out of that cover crop. Right. We are heading into harvest, and I'm sure conversations about inputs, if they haven't already started, are going to start, whether it's seed, fertilizer, so forth. Just talk in general how those conversations are going. Are people still optimistic and say, I'm going to spend just as much because crop prices are, are still good, but we know input prices have gone up. How are the conversations going? Uh, just like last year, the conversations aren't always the best part of your day. Uh, nobody likes the fact that commodity, or excuse me, inputs are... Are, are, are record highs, um, and, and I don't foresee that changing anytime soon. Um, and I think many economists are saying the same thing. So, you know, we've got to hope that commodity prices hang on. I think there's more profit now in this, in this environment um, if we raise good yields um, than there was maybe seven or eight years ago. But you and me both know there's also more money out there to lose. So um, I guess when I'm talking to guys, the biggest thing I can do is, hey, let's not cut back too much. Let's stick with a good program. Let's not cut corners. Hopefully we can raise good yields, but let's protect too. Um, make sure you're talking to your crop insurance agent. Make sure that we're uh, being proactive from a marketing standpoint. Um, and, and I think those things are what's going to make sure we don't have that really bad experience. Um, and hopefully we can raise a, raise a big crop and have some record uh, profit margins as well. So when I look at where I'm going to spend... How do you prioritize the dollars if I'm going to have that conversation? Or would you be an advocate that says, I think that you should continue to spend because you're going to have to spend to have that crop or have a chance at that crop? How do you look at it? Yeah, I'm an advocate of uh, let's look at ROI, make sure our inputs are returning. Um, a lot of guys are cutting back on fertility, though, and that's something I don't recommend. Um, you know, many guys have taken a lot of, a lot of years to build. Um, that bank of fertility and we can deplete it really quick um, so let's not maybe we can cut back but let's not skimp um, and, and that's certainly my outlook on it and if we're going to raise a good crop um, we've got to pay attention but we can't cut completely cut corners so as you think of then looking about the the whole system if you will as we go into next year where is it that you advocate then spending the dollars? Obviously, fertility is important, but where else do you put a priority on some of those dollars? Yeah, I mean, fertility, um, selecting good seed hybrids, working with your retail ag or, or, or seed person or, or seedsman, whoever it may be, um, as well as, hey, let's pay attention to chemistry. Um, you know, I always say, uh, or the old saying is, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And when it comes to herbicide and chemistry, that's certainly the case. Uh, let's not skimp on the front end and then have to go in with a rescue treatment because a lot of times you double what you're spending if we don't spend it on the front side. Um, so those are, that's another spot I would certainly encourage guys not to skimp. Fertility, you mentioned there earlier. 
How should I think about my fertility, especially my in? Uh, what do you see people using? What's working? Because we hear so much about it. In prices are high. We've got to have it. Are you trying to split apply, look at different sources? What's, what's working for you? Even the cover crops, I'm sure, are part of this discussion. Yeah. Uh, so this part of the world, uh, it's challenging because we've got terraces, we've got small fields, we've got um, a lot of environment that isn't conducive to in-season nitrogen. Uh, so there is a lot of pre-planting uh, anhydrous supplied in this area. And, you know, I like it as well as anybody, and we use a, quite a large margin of it too. But as you said, I, I'm a pretty big proponent of if we can split apply, let's do it. Um, we can usually reduce our rates a little bit, um, save a few dollars that way, and at least pay for that application cost. And if we get a year like some of my customers have had where we're looking at crop failure already and we know at the end of June, hey, maybe we can cut cut that back and that's that many more dollars you don't have to spend. Or on the flip side, some of my customers are going to have a great year. Let's push it a little harder. Um, I, I, I like the flexibility of split applied nitrogen in the right scenarios. As you think about going from 2022 into 23, other things that are on your mind, what are you hearing from producers uh, in conversations you're having? Um, keep your heads up. Uh, you know, obviously input prices such as uh, fertilizer and, herb and, and, and chemistry rose last year. We all know that uh, seed prices are probably going to go up some this coming year. You know, it's it's something none of us want, but it's the reality of it. And um, I think there is still decent profit margin um, if we can lock in prices at today's rates. Be proactive, though. Do not wait. Let's lock in some um, because if these commodity markets do drop, um, it could get really bad really quick. And, and so the best thing I have to advise anybody is as you're locking in your inputs, lock in some commodities as well because that's the only way we're going to keep that that uh, tide from getting too big. Appreciate the time. No problem. In the second half of this week's show, I talked with Sam Turner, who is a channel seedsman in central Missouri near the town of Ashland. Much of our conversation centered on how we make seed decisions. As harvest begins in many locations, a lot of us are already making choices about what seed we want for next year. That's where we began our visit. Sam, talk about the year this year. You got pretty dry and hot at one point in the season, right? Yeah, so I think in uh, June and July both, we broke 100 a couple times. It seemed like it was more just consistent heat this year, uh, over 90 degrees for several weeks. I'm interested, you know, you, every year you want to try to plant the right seeds to handle whatever you do, but having gone through a drought like this this year, is it going to change your minds or other minds on what we plant or how we do things going forward with those type of conditions? Yeah, I think so. Uh, in years past, I didn't think uh, drought guard corn especially was uh, something that, you know, we always want to push yield, 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 whatever is the best yield or whether it's double pro, tricepta, or drought guard this year we really saw where drought guard really paid off um, so next year when we're having conversations with guide on seed decisions we want to make sure we're diversifying our portfolio and not you know just going with all double pro or all tricepta we want to make sure that we're trying to diversify and putting some drought guard on your tougher acres and uh, you know you got some acres that stay, seem to hold moisture yeah that's when we can push yield but we want to make sure we're making smart decisions when it comes to seed selection. 
No, talking about seed selection, we're heading into harvest, so in some ways we think, well, that's a long time away, but yet a lot of people are going to be making some selections here pretty soon. Just talk about how you walk through that process with producers, or how should we as farmers think through that process? Because you mentioned yield. Yeah, we always want yield, but what other conversations, at least in our minds, should we be having or with whoever's selling the seed? Yeah, so I think uh, I think the last two weeks we've actually had guys put seed uh, orders on the books we always tell guys, you know, nobody wants to book seed before the combines are rolling and we see what we're doing. But at the end of the day, we, as, a, as an organization, as a company, we're trying to get that seed into position for spring so that guys are planting the hybrids that they want. When we're talking about the seed decisions that we're wanting to make, a lot of that comes to walking fields this time of the year before the combines get going and be like, okay, this corn in particular did really well in this type of soil condition. Let's go ahead and put this corn on the books for next year. That way we can guarantee that we can get you this number and that we're putting the right products in the right place. When you talk about guaranteeing that, you know, last year we had a lot of conversations about, well, we don't know what's going to happen, supply chain. I'm guessing you're going to tell me it's gotten some better, but do we still have concerns about being able to get what we want? Yeah, so fortunately, we had uh, we had seed meetings in Kansas City a couple weeks ago with Bear Leadership, and they they seem to be um, very hopeful that the the seed shortage or selection is going to be much better next year. You know, last year we had a it was a tough year last year with a lot of moisture and we had a lot of replant issues, and you know, seed was kind of hard to come by this spring. But fortunately, we've had you know in, in other parts of the country we've had really good weather, and you know, I think uh, we're gonna. We're going to do pretty good this year on getting seed that we want to uh, to customers that we need. You have a pretty large territory there. You're kind of between Columbia and Jefferson City, but you still cover a lot of ground. Do you find the producers there when you have seed selection? Are they at a point now where they're doing variable hybrids, variable rate? Do you see that a lot with people? And I guess what do you see down the road? Do we need to be thinking that way more because it can be more than just a per-field decision here? One of the biggest things I think that's coming to agriculture in the next 10 years is more variable hybrids, more variable rate, especially nitrogen applications because, you know, anhydrous got $1,500 a ton. And if you're you're in a part of the field that, you know, that's just not going to be able to handle some of the nitrogen that you're going to put on it, we don't want to waste that when it comes to seed selection, whether it's climate field view or other different programs that, were, that write seed scripts. Using those... Uh, we talk about the four R's all the time. Putting the right seed in the right place is going to be really important. And if we have seed going in fields that, you know, say it's a tough acre field and we're we're putting our high-end yielders in there, maybe we could cut back and put a tough acre bean in there, save us a few dollars on the seed side, but still produce what it's going to produce. So walk me through then what I should be thinking about now. You mentioned a little bit of this, but how do I get ready then for my seed selections? How can I help myself, help whoever it is that I'm buying seed from to to kind of do the best job that I can for the upcoming season? I think uh, one of the most important things you can be doing is each year trying something a little different, Uh, whether that's uh, with your, your fertility, whether that's with your chemical, your crop protection, and especially your seed. You know, the seed companies, there's a lot of different hybrids out there. I think all the data that you, you can you can look at data all day long on different plots and different uh, trials, but until it's on your farm and on your soil type, you're not going to truly understand how it's going to affect your bottom line. So doing your own experiments, doing your own trials, trying to try something new every year 
to get ready for the following year is, I think, crucial. So this year, if you tried any different numbers or if you tried a different uh, fertility package, make sure you're walking that field. Make sure when you've got a combine going through it, you you got your yield monitor calibrated so that you can know how that particular hybrid, that particular fertility package, how it truly impacts your farm and your acreage. You had a lot of silage cut this year, partly because it's dry. I'm interested, is that normal that you have that much silage cut, or did a lot of people cut simply because it got dry then? I would say a lot of people cut because it got dry. Um, I I can only think of maybe a handful of guys that do it every year, uh, whereas this year it was more than that. Yeah, typically we try to take most of our, our corn to the bin. Yeah. Well, and they have enough livestock where they feeding it into their own livestock or where are they putting all this corn silage? Because you're part of the world. Certainly there's some livestock around, but I don't think of it as being huge livestock country either though. Yeah. So, you know, in my part of the world, in between Ashland and New Bloomfield, there's not a whole lot of crops grown. It's actually mainly pasture. Uh, you get down into some of the river bottoms as you know, it's, it's all, it's great ground to grow great crops, but there's uh there's a lot of pasture out there and there's a lot of cows and different livestock that's going to benefit from having as much silage chopped as we did. Other things that you're talking with producers about, thinking about going into 22 to 23 that uh, you think are important? I think the most important thing that we got we got to focus on in the next couple of years is how can we get the most uh, bang for our buck. We know inputs are up. We know interest rates are high. So we need to make sure in the next couple of years that we're making every penny count and that we're maximizing the the yield that we can on the acreage that we have. Appreciate the time. Appreciate you. Thank you. That's it for this week's show. I appreciate you listening. Remember, you can hear all of our shows at farmingthecountryside.com, on many local radio stations, or on your favorite podcast platform. And you can follow Farming the Countryside on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube as well, where I'm posting pictures and info from our own farm. I've been sharing several videos from our cattle roundups lately. I hope you'll connect with us online. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com.